Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And we have some Corset 2021 previews slash top 10 shows slash a couple top five shows. I don't know. It's confusing. It was a real battle to figure out the format for this show, and it has gone through several incarnations. I like where we've finally arrived. Me too. I guess this has been a kind of an ongoing story with our top 10 list, though. We have been experimenting with new ways to do them over and over and over. And we originally had a even newer way to do it on docket for this particular show. But it turns out we agree about a lot of this stuff, which is strange. We don't often square up exactly when we were doing these top 10 shows, but we were real, real close when we submitted independent lists. So we just went ahead and consolidated one official arena deck list, top 10 list. Yes. Uh, so normally we don't put reprints on our top 10 because it's, it's pretty obvious. It's like, okay, well this, this card has historically been very powerful, very good. However, for this set, the vast majority of the power level, at least for standard, is tied up in the reprints. And I think that the reprints, it's not just adding like, oh, this is a, a better grizzly bear or a better removal spell. I think that the reprints in this set do a lot of work to actually fundamentally shift how standard is going to operate. So I do actually think that it it's worthwhile to talk about them this time. Totally agree. And it, it's not really that the new cards are a miss. I don't feel that way at all. I think there's a lot of very interesting cards here. It's just that the power level feels scaled back a little bit, which don't get me wrong. I'm okay with that. 100% okay with that. Thank you. But it also feels very flat. And when I put my list together, my preliminary list, I had about 30 new cards that I was considering. And it was really hard to differentiate all but the very, very top of the field. And then the next 25 or so cards were Really similar in power level, I thought, but deep. Like, there's a lot of playable stuff here. Yeah, but it's it's like, oh, Red got a couple new two drops, and there uh, there's a bunch of new solid removal that's going to show up in a lot of different places. There are some cool sideboard cards, but not a whole lot of bangers, and that doesn't make for a very compelling top 10 list. No, it doesn't, but it does make for a compelling format. That feels like what we were doing back like Ravnica Allegiance era, where there were just a lot of options and a lot of interchangeable pieces, and you could make really smart deck building decisions. So I'm going to cross my fingers and hope we are moving back to that. But it just doesn't seem like there's nothing I looked at here and gasped. There was nothing that shocked me. There was nothing that seems facially broken. Just a lot of really good, really interesting cards. Happy to see that. Yeah, that's that's the other problem, right? Is when we talk about doing a top 10 list, it's like, well, number four through number 20 are all kind of tied in power levels. So yeah. what what does this list look like exactly? And is is this actually relevant to talk about like that? Right, it, it's tough. But I do like the way we've set this up and what we've ultimately arrived at. Yeah, so we both presented our top five lists for new cards and for reprints. And I think we matched on six or seven of the cards if you wanted to count like my honorable mentions and stuff so we were very close and then i think made even more of a consensus when we started talking about things so we're we're both basically in agreement here yeah i I think this is the definitive list as i said this is unquestionably the top 10 cards in this yeah not not even close and it's kind of like the top 13 but we'll we'll figure that out in a sec so we're going to start with the reprints because that's less exciting and i'm going to start with some honorable mentions. I have an honorable mention, which is Crash Through, and you have an honorable mention, which is Rune Halo. 
I am just going to talk about crash through real quick because there were various periods where I was building decks and I, I just really wanted like a red cantrip, usually for Arclight Phoenix, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now it's kind of interesting to maybe go back and revisit some of those decks and see if this actually does anything. Other than that, I'm not sure if it's going to actually do anything, but Arclight Phoenix has been, you know, tier seven or whatever for a while and could use a little boost. This might actually help it. So it, has the potential to change things. Could also matter with, with Dreadhorde Arcanist, which is a card that is very good, but sees yeah. very good play. Yeah. So I, I would note that too. Crash Through just a solid card. Obviously sees modern play. Uh, any one mana cantrip has to be considered. And basically you just want like a critical mass of them. And this helps add to that critical mass. So uh, meaningful print to be sure. Also, it's very telling that your honorable mention is Crash Through and mine's Ruined Halo, it really speaks to the way we play magic and <laughs> build magic decks. I um, want a Grand Prix with Ruined Halo in my deck at one point. I'll have you know. Was this in like a five-color control type list or? Oh, yeah. It was block constructed. Okay. Yeah. Shadowmore I black ha- constructed. I hated it. It was it was an awful card. It it did serve its purpose, but definitely not a card that I'm a fan of. There, there have been some niche instances where it's like okay maybe this is a reasonable sideboard card for modern or whatever but my problem with this card is that just very often it doesn't do the thing that you want it to do or you're using it to lock down a thing and then they kill it and then kill you with that thing so tell me why you're super stoked about this card well i wouldn't go as far as super stoked it's it's my honorable mention i think you it had has it a on chance. your top five you had it on your top five. Don't lie to the people. It was my fifth card on my top five. So I don't know if that qualifies as super stoked or not, but I do think it has a chance to see play. I think it's a solid role player. I think that threats often come down to a very thin point in standard where a deck only has one or two cards you really have to worry about. But what really sold me on Rune Halo is Urian. And I am getting to the place in my deck building where I'm just convinced Urian is an incredible magic card. And I'm looking at 60 card decks with four Urian's main and being pretty happy about them. I'm doing the 80 card thing with three Urian's main and the one on the sideboard. And that's totally fine. Cosign. Ruined Halo plus Urian is a nice setup. You protect yourself from whatever early aggression you're facing. You eventually find your sweeper. Then Urian comes down and it resets for your new problem. And that play pattern seems really appealing to me. I also really like that play pattern with Sorceress Spyglass, which is something we could have been doing this whole time and hasn't really happened. But I'm not sure why. I think that is actually a flexible interaction that is quite good. The reason why I don't think that has happened, you talked about you, you ruined Halo, their early creature, and then you shatter the sky, and then your ruined Halo is not doing anything, so blinking it is good. But it's very rare that you like spyglass their planeswalker, then end up having a way to kill their planeswalker, and then get to reset the spyglass. Yeah. So why I see it becoming more relevant now, though, is because there are large, expensive planeswalkers that you may want to contemplate at some point, but you don't have to contemplate in the first six or seven turns of the game. And you can play your Urian, use that to answer the problematic planeswalker and switch over to the very big looming problem you may soon face, which we are going to talk about as we move through this reprint list. Yeah. I I think that it's possible that Ruined Halo is going to show up in Urian decks. It's a little tricky for me because of the dub-dub casting cost. Like mm-hmm. that, that doesn't strike me as very ideal because it's tough, especially if you're, if you're talking about just being Azorius, then I don't know, maybe you have Brazen Borrower and Absorb and things like that in your deck. Narset, certainly. 
I don't know how how many hoops you want to jump through to actually make that a good card, but it also doesn't necessarily have to come down on turn two. That is true. You, you do play a lot of basic islands, though, especially when you get to the 80 card list. There's just a ton of islands yeah. floating around and awkward draws could cause you some trouble with Rune Halo. But if it's scaling into the late game appropriately, you'll probably live with that. All right. So on to the official list at number five, we have Solemn Simulacrum. And this this card's just good. It's a, a little awkward that we currently have better ramp options. And granted, these are ramp options that exist in green. So if you did want to do something like, you know, play Azorius or you talked about last week where you had some kind of like big Boros combo deck sort of thing, like Solemn is a good card to turn to. And I think that even in the green based ramp decks, like Solemn is a card that will very likely show up. I just don't think it's going to be in super huge numbers, but I do think it's going to encourage people to play more of a mid range game than we previously were. Yeah, it's often appearing as like a two of in my list right now. I think as long as you are playing non-combo magic, this is just a combination of abilities and stats that should fit into almost all standard formats. Now, granted, power level of standard very different than it used to be. And maybe at some point there will be a wall where this card just can't matter. But I think when you tack these two abilities onto a creature... And you get all that comes with that when it comes to blinks and reanimation and those type of effects, it really unlocks. So I've explored this with Elspeth Conquer's death, of course, Urian. I just think there's too much that Solemn Simulacrum does to not see some level of play. I was just trying to play it raw. I wasn't trying to do any fancy blink shenanigans or anything. That's Uh, fine too. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fine fine body fine ball of stats it lives through ugin a bunch of little tiny interactions that push me in favor of this card yeah lives through ugin and accelerates to ugin i think are Mm -hmm. two two pretty uh solid selling points for this card but not like it really needed the help already sure then number four we have scavenging ooze and this one is interesting to me because obviously it's a very powerful card but i don't really know where it's gonna show up and For the most part, I think that that's just not a great argument when we're talking about new sets, because if a card is good enough, it will find a home. And I think that this is probably one of those cards where, you know, I I could, I don't see it in some sort of like gruel mid-range deck or Saltai or Bant or whatever, but it's possible that this card could be so important for the format against things like Uro and uh, Cauldron Familiar, where maybe the Bant decks, like the green decks just start morphing themselves to make the most use out of this card. Yeah, we're also creeping up on a rotation. So everything we assume about the format could change very quickly. There's no question to me that throughout its lifespan in standard, even if it doesn't excel at this particular moment, Scavenging News is going to be an important card. All the stuff you listed, but you can go much further than that. I think there's just a lot of graveyard stuff going on. Elspeth Conquers Death, one of the key cards in the format. And shutting off that clause will also be very important. Yes. Uh, you also you also dodge the removal aspect of that being just a two mana card. So big points there for scavenging news. You're right as it stands right now. I don't know that I like slot this in Bant or anything. It doesn't seem like it fits particularly well there. But there should be a home for scavenging news as we go through this process. And even if it's not being started in Bant, sideboard card almost certainly, right? Maybe it depends because I think that there are definitely going to be situations where something like Soul Guide Lantern is just a little bit more efficient. And 
If okay. it is just, oh, I want to take out like your one Uro and then cycle versus have a threat, I think it would be easy to see where you would play Soul Guide Lantern instead. But certainly if you're talking about, you know, having this thing that can basically function as a Tarmogoyf, like some sort of stopper against aggressive decks. And in the case of Racto Sacrifice, you know, maybe they're playing Cauldron Familiar, Luris, Archfiend's Vessel, Call of the Death Dweller, stuff like that. It's uh, a lot then- of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And then Ooze also is just like a big body and it gains you life. Like that stuff is probably more important than being efficient and being a cantrip. So it, it might depend. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this card slots. I will be keeping a close eye on my friend Scavenging Ooze. I don't think it's a reason to shift back to a more classic style of mid-range. But if the format moves in that direction, Ooze will be a part of it. Yeah. And again, it's just an extra tool, right? So if you decide that your deck really wants to do this sort of thing or function in this sort of way, like you have the option to actually do that. And I think that's great for the health of the format overall. Mm-hmm. Number three, we have my friend. I wrote about this one this week, Kitesail Freebooter. I am a big fan of this card, especially in the context of this standard where the black aggro decks have things like Rotting Regisaur, and uh, Demonic Embrace, this also curves well into Spawn of Mayhem. You have things like Rankle that could maybe use some some protection and like some help clearing the way and stuff. And I think that Freebooter just does a lot of stuff. And with the deck that I wrote about specifically, it was just Mono Black Aggro, but that deck historically has had a solid base. It just hasn't had a really robust two drop. And I think that Freebooter just kind of fixes a lot of problems for that deck. Yeah, if you're just looking at how the format exists right now, spot removal is non-existent. So basically you catch up by finding your sweeper or mitigating the battlefield. This deals with half of that. Kitesail Freebooter will certainly take away that first sweeper your opponent is intending to use to take down your entire force or tell you about the second sweeper. You know, if that's the way their hand is set up, you can certainly play around that with more knowledge. I I like the idea of this hard targeting a format that isn't set up to deal with it. Does that stay the case as we move forward? I'm less convinced. I am lower on this without its synergies than you are. But as it stands right now, if nobody's playing spot removal, I'm all about this card. Well, even so, if if they're playing spot removal, they're playing it probably in low numbers. And you take their one spot removal spell and then you play something like Rotting Regisaur. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, say they have two spot removal spells, right? Like you, you take something else that's good, like their sweeper or whatever planeswalker or whatever. And then they have to choose between like killing the freebooter and getting their important thing back or just killing your actual threat. So as long as people aren't playing like 12 spot removal spells, like this, this thing is going to do a pretty good job of actually disrupting your opponent. It's also worth noting that like one of the main things that people have turned to for quote unquote spot removal has been Aether Gust traditionally and mono black actually bucks that to the point where I don't know if we're just going to be seeing a bunch of Aether Gust main deck anymore, assuming that Mono Black is actually pretty good, which I think it is. So maybe even in like the first week or so, it's like you catch a bunch of people playing Aether Gust and not any spot removal, and then you just get to destroy them, basically. Sounds pretty good to me. Number two, we have Cultivate. This card is just kind of busted. I don't know. It's a two-for-one. It's Acceleration. It's Color Fixing. It works really well with Grow Spiral and Uro already. So then you just form this like very well complete package. And I don't know. I, I think I think it's gonna change 
what people are trying to do with their decks. Whereas before it was mostly just like, I'll play Agro Spiral or an Uro mostly because they're good cards, but just to get like that quick burst of acceleration and something like cultivate means that you can actually start building towards more men intensive kind of like heavier top end longer game plans. Yeah. I was high on another form of ramp when I first did my pass through Lanoir visionary was a card that really appealed to me. That card's but good. You and I, yeah, you and I talked about it a little bit, though. And while I do believe Land of War Visionary is a powerful magic card and may play a role in the format at some point, it does seem like Cultivate is set up a little bit better for what the format is about. And the main selling point for me is it playing particularly well with Uro, getting the extra land in your hand so you're able to take advantage of Uro's ramp, still getting to those late game states that you're often trying to work towards with Uro, and then just early huge huge probably planeswalkers coming down way ahead of schedule it's just a very clear path forward for this format it outscales a lot of the stuff and it also has the potential to close windows much quicker than this format typically does right now games tend to stretch out forever i think with cultivate in the mix it's actually pushing towards some real closing power because the top ends get even more exaggerated than they presently are like right now they're five and six drops we're trying to close the game with and our five and six drops kind of smash into each other and stare at one another this allows us to look at oh i don't know say an eight drop maybe if we wanted to go that far maybe as far as lanor visionary is concerned i think that that card would be more likely to show up in some of the like older simic ramp decks that are more creature based certainly and with devoted dev or excuse me uh, finale devastation setups you would want to use lanor visionary yeah absolutely and and i don't count those decks out you know i mean a lot of the cards that show up on, on this list, like, you know, Solemn, even Cultivate, Scavenging Ooze, like those those cards are pretty good in that sort of setup too. So it wouldn't shock me if that's sort of the path that people go down in order to trump things like Bant and Teamer Wreck. Yeah, I also just love how Visionary pressure is opposing to fairies, like putting them in an awkward spot where they can't necessarily bounce the thing you're going to attack them with seems very promising to me and this just feels like what something like civic wayfarer needs to be in this present era of course there's urian as well so i, I know i'm spending a lot of our cultivate time talking about land visionary but it's an interesting decision between the two cards i just think as the format stands right now cultivate's going to start with the edge i don't want to count land visionary out though yeah me either but as far as a drops are concerned our number one card ugin the spirit dragon i i don't think that this is really any surprise. So I actually worked on the majority of the cons block and Dave Humphreys was the lead dev for Fate Reforged. And we, we were like tasked with coming up with an Ugin Planeswalker and Dave's premise for it was this big end game thing that any sort of control deck would want to play like one or two copies of. And I think that Ben Hayes probably led the mini team for that. And they just came up with like this slam dunk answer. And it was also, you know, very flavorful, like completely mimicking uh, the original nickel bullets alt and stuff. So I, I think they just, you know, hit it with, hit it with slam dunk and bringing it back. I don't think anything's going to be different about that. I think a lot of decks like ramp decks and maybe even stuff like team or reclamation, you're going to want to play one or two copies of this as your top end. And Anytime you're playing like normal fair magic, you're playing maybe like mono black aggro or some gruel aggro deck or whatever, and your opponent like plays Ugin, minuses, get to keeps their Ugin, 
gets to Keith Rugen, uh, it just puts them in in such a poor position. And nothing has changed about that. Like Ugin is still going to be the de facto top end for standard unless people are trying to do wild combo things like Team Rec. Yeah, this is my probably favorite large planeswalker. Sorry, Karn. I know it. we've had a long relationship, but something about Ugin just sings to me. Like if Karn was in this set, I wouldn't be as excited. Karn isn't really all that fun to play with her against, but... Ugin is interesting to me and does a good job of actually making games end, which I appreciate, as opposed to just starting new ones. The combination of Ugin plus Elspeth Conquer's death, it's odd to say it's being slept on right now, but I just think like that two-turn turnaround to ultimate is going to be so, so tough to overcome. And like you said, you don't jam four Ugins in your deck, but all of these decks that have their eyes on going long I just think they have to look at the spirit dragon as their top end now with, especially with agent of treachery gone. Like we can't do that type of shenanigan anymore and you don't have to worry about your Ugin being stolen either. So I, it's hard for me to see circumstances really holding this card back from being meaningful. But as we've also talked about, this is a good card to be meaningful. It's something you can plan around, something you can build around and hopefully it shapes the format in a way that we have churn and we have answers to Ugin show up. I mentioned, mentioned Sorceress Spyglass before. I think that's important. All the colorless creatures should get a little bit of shine due to Ugin's presence. I'm excited to have this card back in the format. Yeah, it's it's cool how when building decks, I've been able to weave in just the smallest amount of counterplay by having like a flash threat or a colorless mm. threat playing Spark Hunter, Masticore, Stone Coil Serpent, even having something like Solemn, that's a, a body left over. Uh, you have the the lands from Nissa too, I believe. I don't think she makes them green, right? I think that's correct. I'll double check that. But regardless, yeah, there's there's like a lot of ways to gain counterplay. And also one of the best ways to actually combat Ugin is to just be a little faster. You know, don't don't be the smaller mid-range deck. Don't think that you can hang with them in the late game because Ugin will come down, destroy your board, and then they're left with this huge threat. And that's just going to be like too much to overcome. Whereas a good way to actually beat Ugin is just try and kill them on turn five. I can confirm colorless creatures from Nissa. So, so Nissa is also good with Ugin. Right. Power out that Ugin. That's what we needed. More reason to play Nissa. Go back to Nissa. Look, Nissa's mostly not present right now. So you had, you had a little Nissa break. I hope you enjoyed it. It's over. Nissa's back. So yeah, Ugin dope. Ugin going to be good. Anything else you want to say generally about these reprints? I, I think it really speaks to what a well-designed set this is, that these are cards that we can be very excited about. They're super powerful, super meaningful cards, but not in like a scary, oppressive, I dread what's coming type way. Just a, I'm excited to play with these cards and I hope they find their place in the format type of way. Yeah, and similarly to what we were talking about with the rest of the cards in the set, I mean, there are things like Face Fetters, Containment Priest, Glorious Anthem. I'm, I'm even just looking at the white cards right now where it's like, these cards aren't busted, but they're going to show up in a lot of different places. And it is cool that we have access to them. Vryn, Vryn Wingmare is another one that I really like. Yeah, rarity shift on that card. Moving down to Uncommon. Yeah, whatever. Irrelevant. It matters to the people purchasing the cards, Gerald, and me who had a bunch of Vryn Wingmares. At some point, I don't, I don't know when. I know this because I'm actually in the process of cataloging uh, my magic cards right now, putting them into a database. 
and that, that card was never really worth anything right so no it wasn't but i was like this is a good card and i could see at some point this being worth a lot don't feel that way anymore and i have like 15 of them in my box no ridiculous number or anything but just a card that i had eyeballed at some point and probably had been picking out of like quarter bins or whatever but that dream is dead yeah it's it's about 50 cents right now and has been for four years so yep <laughs> i don't think the rarity shift does a whole lot but it is it is cool that it exists we haven't had like a, a thalia type thing and granted this one is a little bit weaker but if you're on the play this gets to do things like stop or cultivate and regardless uh it's good against shadow the sky and sweepers like maybe gives you that extra turn and everything so like this card is going to be impactful too yeah, I think a Thalia effect is a good thing to have in standard right now. Maybe not at Thalia's mana cost. Two mana can be a little awkward, but I hope Vrin Wingmare makes the cut as well. Sideboards. Sure. Way better on the play than the draw, so maybe there'll be a lot of in and outs based on the play draw with this card. Yeah, maybe. All right, on to the brand new cards. This is what everyone's here for. Everyone knows that, you know, scavenging use is good, so... Our honorable mention is another card that was a prominent fixture in my mono black aggro article, which is Demonic Embrace. And this is 1BB for an aura, enchant creature. Enchant creature gets plus three, plus one, has flying, and is a demon in addition to its other types. You may cast this from your graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs. I was actually shocked that we were both happy uh, about this card and like had it pretty close to our top five. Me too. Uh, I actually think we both had this on our initial top fives, but somehow in the process of consolidating them, it fell off to honorable mention. Well, to, um, to consolidate and get, so like you had to accept one of my cards and I had to accept one of yours. And then it was like, okay, we have to agree for something to move down to what is effectively sixth. And I think right. this is the, the best choice for that. This was the casualty, but I don't want that to read as me being low on this card. And I've heard almost nothing about this card. Dude, really I don't, don't get seem, it. Yeah, I, I don't either because it plays so well with the way mono black decks are set up and like what they have access to, things like gutter bones and just having this reach, adding this to a rotting regisaur or any of the other big bodies is just so, so impactful. And this is the type of staying power you need when you're playing a deck full of dorks that don't matter all that much to upgrade them with Demonic Embrace. It just seems like a no-brainer. And I don't know if people are scared off by the fact that this is an aura and auras are historically pretty bad in Constructed, but this one is really pushing hard and the recursiveness of it drew me to it immediately. I think this is a reason to play Mono Black Aggro again. Yeah, I, it's it was this for sure. Like, this is the thing that had me excited about it. And then Freebooter was the one where it's like, oh, it's just kind of all come together at this point where now we actually have this way to insulate ourselves against potentially getting blown out. But yeah, you, you have the best one drops in the format, Knight of the Ebon Legion and Gutter Bones. You have Stone Coil Serpent to fill your curve and it's pro multicolored. So it has sort of built-in protection to go with the aura. You have Freebooter to protect. You have a big target to put this on in rotting regisaur i mean it's it's all there man totally agree and i think excitement for this card will pick up in the coming days as more and more people build around this as you share your article just seems like i mean mono black aggro was good already now granted a lot of this had to do with like obosh in a lot of instances but it was pretty squarely in tier two and like you said there's a lot of reasons for it to be good the one drops in this format in general not great 
with the exception of those you just rattled off. So I, I buy this card 100%. I look forward to happily playing a Stone Coil Serpent on turn one. Sure. Anyway, uh, number five, we have Archfiend's Vessel B for a 1-1 human cleric lifelink. When this enters the battlefield, if it entered from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard, exile it. If you do, create a 5-5 black demon creature token with flying. Did we really need more support for sacrifice decks? It's just nice to see Loris finally get some cards that make it decent. It's about time. Yeah, about time. I really didn't know if it would ever find its true, true home, its true pairing. But it's found it with Archfiend's Vessel. This is just so easy this is not difficult to achieve there are so many decks that do this routinely reliably consistently playing cards they just want to play to begin with things like luris things like uh call the death dweller it's laughably easy to get your five five demon how good is a five five black demon creature token with flying well teferi's still around but when the cost is so low it's kind of like who cares like go ahead and bounce it and now you're dealing with my pressure from all these other aspects anyway, it's shocking that this card follows so close behind Loris. And you and I are basically on the hype train for the good companions now. Things like Loris, things like Urian. We're big believers in the jam a bunch of copies of this card in your main deck. Going to be a lot more of that going on. I also want Fiend Artisan to have its chance. And I don't know if it's going to rely on this card to do that, but there's a lot of finicky, intricate stuff going on here where you could load up your graveyard with a bunch of copies of Archfiend's Vessel and then convert those immediately. And I want to know if that's something we're going to be doing in this new format as well, because that card hasn't really had its chance to shine yet. Although, did you see Ken Yukihiro's deck from the Pro Tour this past week? (laughs) So I I saw that it was cycling, but I didn't actually see his deck list. And now I I can imagine. It did have Fiend Artisan. and. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And it has gotten mixed reviews by everyone who has picked it up since, as is often the case with Ken Yugihiro deck, only he is smart enough to play it. So I don't know if that has staying power, but there's certainly a home for Fiend Artisan. And I think Archfiend's Vessel is going to be part of that. Yeah, I started looking through all the PT deck lists and it was a combination of, well, it was three things really. It was all the team of Reclamation decks were really bad. The format's rotating, and there wasn't a, a whole lot of innovation total from what I saw. So right. I just didn't scroll far enough to see Ken's deck, basically, is where I was. It's worth checking out. You'll appreciate it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, if you if you tell me something specific to go look through, cool, but I'm not going to sift through like 800 deck lists to find it. You know, There was not a lot of joy in the deck list. It was very much what we thought the format was going to be. Uh, there was joy, though, in Friend of the Podcast. Allie Warfield's finish. Nice Hell to yeah. see that little top four finish. But as far as the deck list, not a whole lot to be excited about. All right, number four, Maze Mind Tome. Two generic mana for an artifact. Tap, put a page counter on this, scry one. Two, tap, put a page counter on this, draw a card. When there are four or more page counters on this, exile it. If you do, you gain four life. I wanted to talk about this card last week. You were just like, this is dumb, this card stinks, and now it's on your top five, what do? I don't remember saying those words specifically, but I want to point out that when I submitted my first draft of my personal top five list, I already had Maze Mind Tome 
You did not. I had to talk you into putting this card back on the top five. No, list. it was my honorable mention, man. I've already put it in deck list. You can, I, I got the receipts, man. My my article from last week. I had a bunch of deck lists with Maze Mind Tome in it. I talked about it. I talked it up. I think it's good. I just didn't think that it was going to be one of those cards that was going to have immediate widespread adoption. Therefore, it doesn't go on a top five list. Right. So I mostly agree with that point. But here's why I think it's worthy of inclusion on this list. There is a class of decks that can exist unless Maze Mind Tome is a card. And it wasn't present in the format right now. Like these things like big red style decks, mono black control, they need cards like Maze Mind Tome, or they're just on the back foot to begin with because they might miss their third land drop and the format's too powerful for that. So you have to be able to, one, have long game card advantage to reliably hit your mana curve. Maze Mind Tome allows these decks to do that. And I just think there is a class of decks that can't exist without this in the format. And now the deck building space is opened up a bit. Now, granted, the decks this opens up, I'm not super excited about. Like, I think they're very clearly tier two, tier 2.5. But as the format matures, as we get more and more cards, it could be Maze Mind Tome is unlocking something very powerful. And that's why I was okay with it being on our top five list. I agree with everything you've said. However, just put like two copies of this into any Urian deck you have. Okay. I, I will have to try that. As of now, I haven't been doing that with my Urian builds. This card is but, great with Urian. Yeah, the blink is good. I mean, every card is great with Urian. That's the problem. I know, <laughs> you just get paid over and over. I would um, rather have a Maze Mind Tome than a Ruined Halo or a Sorcerer Spy class. Let me tell you. Well, those are sideboard cards, so mm, I, okay. I am okay with that as your assumption. I didn't uh, know that sideboard cards were making our top fives now. Of course, sideboard cards make our top fives. Look, unless, there's unless they're Veil of Summer, but that's more of a main deck card. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that actually made our top ten. But anyway, one of the reasons I think I succeed at Magic is because my sideboard plans tend to be better than other people's sideboard plans, and Dude, right there with I, you. I take sideboard cards very seriously, which is why I'm able to put something like Rune Halo up that highly because you play more sideboarded games than games without your sideboard. So if Rune Halo is going to be super impactful in those games, I'm going to take note of it 100% of the time. Number three, eliminate. 1B instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker with CMC three or less. It's about time that we got something like this that can kill, you know, Narset, Teferi, Oko, Obviously, it's a little awkward because those Planeswalkers generally get a use out of their thing before you have to spend a card to kill it, but it's better than having those cards sit on the battlefield and just torment you all game. And also, those cards are like, you know, getting banned or rotating very soon, so maybe a little little too late, because uh, I'm not seeing like a lot of three-mana busted Planeswalkers getting printed these days anyway, but hey, better late than never. Right. That's the story of this card is that had it been in War of the Spark, maybe all of our all of our lives are different having lived through the past year and a half and it hasn't been the disaster it kind of was. But whatever, I'm happy it's here now. It bails me out for the next few months. You know, it's funny, you talk about this card being really bad as an answer. The one where I think you would have been most happy to have this card it would have been against Oko, which is weird because you kind of think of that as the most powerful Planeswalker of all time, and rightfully so, but you don't feel too bad when you eliminate an Oko. They haven't gotten all that much value in most instances yeah. with that ability. So weird that it had kind of the soft spot, and you s certainly see why this card showed up at this point. Like 
maybe as a pressure release valve for Oko, but too little too late. Needed to be there at release time. Yeah, a couple sets too late. Regardless, uh, Smother's still good, and things like Teferi and Narset do still exist for right now. But, I mean, there's also, like, Gideon Blackblade and Bosri Cats, and yep. there will probably be three Man of Planeswalkers in the future. You know, maybe they're going to be a little bit weaker or whatever, but now we have the ability to actually do something about it. It's also worth noting that Heartless Act was in the last set. We have Grasp of Darkness in this set. I mean, we have, we have good removal, and yeah. we get to point and click and kill basically whatever we want nowadays. And we weren't able to do that like six months ago. So I'm pretty happy about it. It's not really what we do here, but how important do you think this card is for older formats? Is it really impactful as we go back? Uh, I don't think so because Abrupt Decay mostly does a lot of the same stuff and it's kind of rare to find a deck that would want this sort of effect. I guess like Grixis is the kind of thing where... Yes, this will help out, but then like Grixis could also like terminate or Dreadbore or whatever. So, right. What what color combination am I looking for? Like Esper, I guess. Like, oh yeah, this card's tight in Esper. Yeah, yeah, that's really where the the weak point lies right now. Yeah, so it, it's it's good that it exists. Obviously, I mean there there are like you could look at I don't know like Orzov midrange like that sort of thing shows up every once in a while and they can't really kill planeswalkers yeah it's cool that it exists I don't think it changes too much but well they can't really kill their opponents either but oh no never nice to have another tool Orzov is is very much just one damage at a time you know it's like I'm attacking you with a lingering souls token and I hope that that's good enough you think I would be into that but somehow not well you gotta win at least some of the time right in order for never win well, you know, me too. That's basically what happened whenever I played Warsaw. <laughs> Number two, we have Selfless Savior dub for a 1-1 Doge. And you can sacrifice this. And another target creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. Simple, straightforward. Not all that exciting, but this is a really powerful effect to staple to a creature. And all those... Go wide strategies just got way better. Any kind of protect the queen type setup gets real better with selfless savior. Luris gets much better with selfless savior. It just enables a whole bunch of cards. Now, I am a little concerned about how much indestructible is going to matter. That is my one sticking point right now. I think as it stands, it's pretty good. Uh, I don't see that as a huge point of weakness, but if the removal really shifts to something like Grasp of Darkness or it's all about tempo and things are just getting bounced and not actually destroyed, Selfless Savior looks much worse than something like Benevolent Bodyguard that could potentially give protection from a color. Also can't really force damage through either. So there are some holes in this card, but the combinations it has to work with are powerful ones, particularly the Luris one. Again, another one drop that's just raring to go to to mix it up with Luris despite a huge nerf to the card. So expect to see that combination happening on battlefields near you very, very soon. Yeah, it was kind of funny uh, building this mono black deck and looking at the removal that I had available to me where it was like disfigure, grasp of darkness, legions end. It's just like you don't care about the savior really at all. I mean, there, there are some things like eliminate obviously that do, but there are ways to get around it. But like you said, using this to either protect Aluris or even just bring back with Aluris and, I don't know, just saving your biggest thing from uh, Shatter the Sky is super impactful and there are always going to be like burn spells and whatnot. So 
I, I think that this card is going to be very, very good. It kind of has the scavenging ooze problem where what are we really doing with this right now? I think that Rakdos is a better home for Luris than Orzov at the moment, but Orzov saw some success last season too. And mm-hmm. then there are, there are like some mono-white aggro type setups or even like human setups where you have this and General's Enforcer to protect uh, General Kudro of Drenith and sure. even protecting like your Kitesail Freebooter and stuff. So I think that this card could potentially be the other side of like the new aggro spectrum from this set, like one being mono black and the other being sort of like this base white. I buy that. Also a lot of disrespect being shown by you right now to dog tribal. I'm just going to say, I don't know if this a lot is of your position as a cat lover, but there is a dog Lord in this set and I will not have you speak poorly of the good boys Man, pack I, leader. I would never up selfless savior. Just because you own a dog and not a cat, I would never refer to you as a dog lover and just say that you hate raccoons or whatever. I I am a dog lover, though. Yeah, you are, but you're not a raccoon hater. You're an animal lover, man. I'm just trying to understand why we're pretending like dog tribal isn't a thing. That's all. Because it's not a thing, dude. There's there's like three different dog cards. It's not enough. If you're going to come with facts and logic, then you're going to win a lot of arguments, but you're not going to win a lot of hearts, Gerald. I'm here for the hearts. This is not the podcast for... Uh, facts and arguments right do that somewhere else my mistake i and here i thought we did 190 episodes attempting to do <laughs> stuff like that but you've, you've had I the know? whole premise wrong all this time what do i know yeah i mean this is this is great this is going to really help me moving forward and <laughs> i'm gonna, your job a lot easier if nothing else dude it, it really would and screw <laughs> doing research and like saying right. things that i believe are true let's just say things just make it up Selfless Savior's a 2-2. That's it. That's sure. that's what we're doing here. Unbeatable. All right. Number one card. Do you think this is going to be everyone's like number one card? Do you think people are there yet? It's a really hard card to wrap your head around. And when I say that, it means I'm also open to the possibility that we're just wrong. And this card's not as good as we presently think it is. But the more I actually sit and think about the play patterns and think about the pure numbers on this card and what it actually accomplishes, the more and more I believe in it. Number one, Teferi, Master of Time. To you, you, Legendary Planeswalker Teferi, three starting loyalty, static ability. You may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi, Master of Time on any player's turn. Anytime you could play an instant, Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card. Minus three, target creature you don't control phases out. And minus 10, take two extra turns after this one. It is the only card with phasing in the set. And that's how you know it's the best card. Clearly, clearly. Here's the thing about Teferi. If you are ahead or at parity, I think Teferi is going to close the door for your opponent very quickly. The level of velocity you get with an uncontested Teferi going through, you know, across two turns, the top four cards of your deck with loots, you will find what you need. You'll also gas up your graveyard where that's important with things like Uro. It often is, as we mentioned, a bunch of other graveyard synergies going on. The timing is going to be very, very challenging. It makes it way harder to make profitable attacks against an occupied battlefield than you think because you get to you know, decide what you're phasing in combat, which is 
pretty incredible. Like all the timing stuff on this card piles up and it makes it so much more effective than you estimate it is at first blush. I just can't get past the numbers. Like if you get a couple turns with a uncontested Teferi on the battlefield, you are going to run away with the game and the ultimate is lights out. I think it's very hard to overcome two extra turns. I would hope so. Yeah. So the fact that it builds loyalty so, so quickly, the fact that it's doing something meaningful while building that loyalty and has a really good way to protect itself. It makes me believe in a four mana planeswalker again. And I wasn't sure when I'd reached that point where I was just wholesale build around this card. Let's see what it can do. But I think I'm there right now. And it's tough. There's something like mystical dispute out there. Obviously that's going to be a thorn into fairy side the entire time it exists. But I, I think we're going to be happy there is that check on Teferi because this card is quite a bit better than it reads. The thing you mentioned last week that I thought was interesting and kind of hits the nail on the head is that before there used to be these planeswalkers where once you played them, the game became all about them. Like Liliana the Veil, Jace the Mind Sculptor, things like that, where you basically stopped whatever you were doing and focused all of your resources on getting that thing off the battlefield. And I think that this Teferi, while obviously not as powerful as those cards, is going to kind of do the same thing, where if you are not pressuring this or actively have a good way to remove it, it is going to pull your opponent really far ahead, and it's going to threaten to end the game eventually with the ultimate. And there, there is just going to kind of be like this oh crap moment when your opponent plays Teferi and then you start scrambling to do whatever it takes to kill it. Yeah, I just want you to walk through the battlefields where Teferi has gotten its time. If you've gone two turns, two turn cycles with Teferi in the mix, four cards deeper, four new looks, seven loyalty, you know, Sadat, that's just such a insurmountable edge. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just hyped to play something resembling five years ago magic which is what teferi feels like it's doing but it's doing so in a new unique way that is at a power level that we just haven't really obviously planeswalkers have been powerful they haven't been powerful in this fashion yeah yeah i mean they're they're mostly just like draw a card draw a card draw a card and this this is doing something completely different this is just a card that you can you can build around like this is your win condition this is protect the queen yeah, excited to play that style of magic again. Excited to cast some Teferis. I don't know what I'm going to do art-wise. Do I need one of each Teferi art? Am I supposed to match them? I don't know. Really they hard all, decisions. They all look pretty similar to me. I think I'll, I'll probably just match them if it comes down to it. I could see myself trying to match them and accidentally getting it wrong. Totally within my range. <laughs> You're just like slightly colorblind or whatever. Where like, you know, the blues and purples look the same or something. Well, I've said many times that when I look at a magic card, I often don't process it as a picture of something. I process it as like a mishmash of colors. And so I shortcut it to, oh, there's that pattern of colors. That's this card. But I never actually look and see what is being depicted on the card. Obviously, with like a focal point with Teferi, it's much easier to look at this card and understand what's going on. Yeah, there, there are some cards that are like that for me, where it's like, I'll recognize the art and it could recognize it at a glance, but then you ask me what is actually on the art and I just couldn't tell no you. No idea. Yep, totally agree. That's how most cards are for me. So it's totally possible that I can mess that one up. Maybe I'll have to show a little bit more care when it comes to fairies. So like on on the future site, Tarmogoyf, like where is the face? Dude, I don't couldn't know. Couldn't even get, all I know is that there's just a mishmash of <laughs> colors. Who knows? That's it. 
Who knows? What is what is that thing even? Not even right. a guess. Uh say say it's it's week one. What are you or week zero, I guess, in this day and age? What what kind of deck are you trying to show up with? You're trying to maximize Urian and Teferi. Are you leaning on one or the other? Or you think that they just go super well together and you can max on both? I think you can do both. I wrote about a Urian deck I was really into from my article this week, shared it with you. You weren't particularly impressed with it. Hated um, it. Yeah, I'm, glad, I, I, I'm glad a lot of the cards in that deck did not show up in your top five. I was very close to having Baron in my top five. I think that card is much better than people anticipate it being, kind of sleeping on a more versatile mana war. But I really like that card in combination with Urian right now. That's where my focus lies. I think there were some valid criticisms about the deck I shared, but those two cards together feel nice to me. They feel like they can do something. It's not because I want to bounce my Urian with Baron. Like that's not my intention in playing the card. Don't don't listen to them, people. It's because I have the ability to do so. When you get these things as an ancillary add-on and they're not your A plan, that's just... Icing on the cake. You get to use Baron to control early aggression and your deck outscales everything in the late game because then you can then put Baron and Urian together in a constant loop. It's we a beautiful, already, beautiful thing. You know I love are, my loops, Gerald. Uh, I do. I know that. We already established that this podcast is not about facts. But right, so I, I, I agree with you that like a couple copies might be fine. Like Baron as a Man of War is a completely fine card on its own. And then it does have this extra, you know, pay 30 mana win the game text, right? And mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. It's going to come up at some points, but you were like maxing on it and playing Niambi. And I think that that card's okay as like a draw engine, but definitely like the whole like bounce all of my stuff and, you know, just you don't run out of gas. Why are you trying to like, you know, bounce your own into the sea or whatever? But that's just not my plan. Like Niambi is about bouncing things like Brazen Borrower. And being able to use Just attack your, with the borrower. I would love to. Hopefully I'll get to do that. But maybe I get to do that in concert even with Niambi because I played it as a two drop, then went brazen borrower, then just curved into mana war, bounce your thing, turn five, play my Urian, good game, pack it in, running away with that one, Gerald. Because I opened up this mid-range draw that these decks previously didn't have. Nah, you're gonna be like omen of the sea, mana war your thing, chump block with it, <laughs> blink my omen, draw a card. But you can do that too. And that's what really appealed to me about this deck is it felt like it had those split game plans that I felt like a lot of decks haven't offered in a very long time. Like Delver of Secrets could just beat you on turn six as it denied everything you tried to do, or it could play a 20 turn game and eventually win with Runechanter Pike and Moreland Haunt. And I don't feel like that style of magic has been open to me in a while where this deck was trying to really open it back up. See, I think a lot of that gets accomplished by just putting borrower in your urian deck and not trying to baron niambi people but whatever maybe maybe that's true but look it's a starting point and if that is true i will adjust at that point but if if i wasn't trying to maximize these new cards like why bother like i I know i can play urian and borrower and it's fine i don't know that i can put these cards together and do something new and special yeah we should try them and I, i agree with that i just don't want to like be sent a deck list and be like, no, I think this is really good because of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there, there's, there's something disingenuous about the messaging. You know, if you're trying to tell me that this is like the new best thing or whatever versus, Hey, this could be okay. Every new best thing starts as a thing with potential and you 
whittle it down from there to its purest points. And maybe these points will prove not to be the purest points and they have to be excluded from the deck. And I'm living in a magical Christmas land where all these pieces will flow together beautifully. Uh, I just like the idea of a deck that can play both sides of the coin, go both ways, have access to weird combinations of cards, like just putting Baron together with Naomi and having a draw one for two mana every few turns. Like that's not something you want. You didn't build your deck to get access to that. But when you have it and you reach a point of parity, you're going to be real happy you have access to a play pattern like that. Yes. I, I just don't don't want to see you turn into a snake oil salesman. That's all. <laughs> you got it. No snake oil for sale here. Just a deck idea I was excited about. Yeah, just maybe just not, present it like that. Thing. Just present it like that. That's all I'm saying. The, the, I, I have an issue not with you frying cards or the strategy in itself. I have an issue with the messaging. Do you, do you think I did something to portray it any other way? I probably said something like this is the best deck in standard somewhere in my writing, right? Uh, maybe maybe I'm putting those words in your mouth. I don't know. But it's That's because I, of my enthusiasm, Gerald. I'm a natural salesman. It's the excitement I bring to the table. You read it as this is the best thing in the world. I, I see it as as BS. I see it as like <laughs> this this person is trying to grift me. That's that's there's, all I see. There is a thin line between the two. I will concede that point. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it. I hope that people enjoyed this split format rather than us discussing like what mediocre red two drop is better or whatever. Uh, I think that this made for a more impactful show, especially since this set has a lot of reprints and they are very, very powerful versus any set where it's like, you know, there are two relevant reprints and we're not going to talk about them. Mm -hmm. So I think this makes sense. And as always, especially for these top 10 shows, I mean, like we're, we're always willing to listen to feedback and if people have any ideas for how to actually like fix this format and just make it so that we have something evergreen, like that would be great because just at this point, every top 10 show, we end up doing something different. Let, let me propose what I actually suggested at first for this show and people can weigh on this now and let us know if they would have found it interesting. What I actually wanted to do was just make two independent top 10 lists all new cards, we would go through, talk about all the cards covered across the top 10 list without disclosing where they fall on our lists. And at the end, we would have revealed our individual top 10 list. I think I kind of broke it. Like that actually feels like the best way to present this information and build to this like cool conclusion where we both make a definitive top 10 list and don't do like the weird, oh yeah, we're talking about this now at number nine, but it's actually my number one card, which kind of throws off the flow a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't like that format at all. It's it's like kind of cute to like I just have that moment where it's like, "Oh, you have this at number 9. That's ridiculous." Like whatever, but Right. Yeah, it, and actually doing it it had some real flaws. So yes. that is my new proposal for the next time we just have a straight up and down set is that we're going to just talk about all the cards and then reveal our top 10 lists at the end. Let us know what you think about that one. Yeah, and let's let's pencil it in to just talk about them in like Wooburg order. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like Wooburg alphabetical or something. Sure. Okay. So uh, we end every show with a question from the fine folks in our discord. And I think I'm just going to let Brian go off on this because I also have the same question. And uh, the question comes from Snook and Snook wants to know what the hell is Jumpstart and why are there so many sets coming out together? I get why there are a lot of sets coming out together. Do you? 
Do you want to reveal why that is? Uh, dollar sign. Yes, correct. That okay. Is, uh, as we have proven on the Arena Deckless podcast, if you don't immediately know the answer, there's a good chance it's probably going to be money if you think about it a little bit. Right. Uh, so I also read up on Jumpstart at some point a while ago, like when it got announced or whatever, and so much has happened since then. I don't remember what this is, and I went through and like looked at the cards, and I was like, I guess we should have just had this reaction on air because it was pretty good where I'm just like, okay, okay, cool. So this is not standard legal, right? And you're like, nah. And I was like, okay, like, you know, what about like, is this supposed to be like a modern set or whatever? And you're like, well, it's legal for historic. And I'm like, what? Like why historic, but not standard. And then you're like, yeah, but the arena release is going to have 20 cards taken out of it or something. And it's just like, what the hell? So it's not actually like, curated to be a historic set and you're just going to like design the set and then ruin it just so that you can put it on historic. Like, I don't understand, man. What it, is this? It does. It does sound made up, but here's the thing I've been hiding from you. When we did our pre-show discussion, you revealed to me that you didn't really understand what jumpstart is. I do understand what jumpstart is. I'm going to tell you now. And I actually dollar think, sign dollar sign. Well, of course the basis is dollar sign, but I actually think this Nailed is a it. legitimately Great idea. And a fantastic, super awesome idea that has been missing from magic since the beginning. Dude, Young the Pyromancer, way, Young Pyromancer is in another magic set. Obviously, it's a great I, idea. I know that. The way Jumpstart works is that these are 20 card seated boosters. And it may not even be seated, it may just be fixed boosters. You know exactly what is in each booster pack. Heinous. And Hate you it. take two of these 20 card boosters, which all have a theme. There's like the Teferi booster and there's the predatory booster or some nonsense like that. You take could, two could boosters. Make a, could make a joke there. Not going to. Don't do it. You take two boosters, you shuffle them up and you play a game of magic against someone else who has taken two boosters and shuffled them up. They have lands in them. They have cards in them. And they're basically like half pre-constructed limited that is, decks. That's exactly what I was going to say. So mm-hmm. there is no excitement whatsoever for buying the set and cracking packs. Correct. There is excitement in playing it. Now, maybe not for us. People like us who have played Real Limited for years and years, maybe this experience falls a little flat for us. But for the average magic purchaser, who's like probably a big box store purchaser, which big box stores don't really exist right now. If the world was normal, who would be going to like Walmart to go buy their magic cards and just wants to play a night of magic... I think this is actually an incredible idea and it's both an alteration of and a gateway to typical limited formats and understanding why this type of setup really works. Cause there is still that same level of like deck building and expression. Now, granted it's much smaller, much more condensed of just choosing your two packs that you're going to shuffle together, but it's like this quick play snappy experience. And I could see just grabbing a bunch of these boosters to have around my house and like, if someone's over, which again, this is fictional. Nobody ever comes to my house. I sit by myself all the time. But if someone did and I had a bunch of these boosters, we could shuffle them up, play potentially a good game of magic. Now, obviously, like the balance of all of this and the interplay of these mixed boosters is going to be interesting. And it seems like a real challenge. But if they nailed it, I think this is a really, really cool idea and a great bridge actually a bridge from people who are on the more casual side to maybe enter an FNM and do a draft really get some crossover interest amongst players. 
Okay, so this this is like kind of a a weirdo build your own dual decks kind of thing. That is another really good way to look at it, I think. So those are those are cool. Uh, I I wish that you know those existed and were sweeter. I guess I guess I have questions for like how is this going to be implemented on Arena? But I just I it's rhetorical. Don't I I don't want to know the answer. I really don't. Good, but because I I got nothing. If it means I can play Young Pyromancer and Of One Mind in Historic, I'm I'm kind of in. So that does seem possible because those are not on the excluded list as of yet. I think they haven't revealed exactly which cards will be excluded in totality. I know like reanimate is definitely one of them. Exume is one of them. And then some like weird, very bad uh, fight card is one of them. Just like due to templating. Can't be having fights, man. No fights. Yeah. They said there's a mix of templating issues and power level issues. Obviously reanimate exume probably power level concessions to the historic format. So probably won't have a huge historic impact. I'm anticipating a small shakeup. Uh, But your question, how this is going to be implemented on Arena, that's an interesting one. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that. Like I said, man, rhetorical. uh, I can't even begin to fathom. uh, So I'm just not even going to speculate. Time will tell. What do you think? Are you into this product? Are you purchasing any of this product to have around your home for when I finally get to come visit you over on the East Coast? Uh, Dude, if I I had friends, then maybe, sure. If there was basic human interaction in our lives, then we'd all be into this. I mean, this is a set that really seems like it gets hit hard by the fact that you can't go hang out with other people right now. That's why you get to play it in whatever form it exists on Arena. I, I don't know, man. It's we'll fine. Figure it out when the time comes. Uh, if I, I, why is it a, a being promoted as like a booster set? I don't know, man. Again, don't answer. I don't care. I don't want to know. There are just so many questions. I'm not sure that there are answers. Um, but yeah, that's game. That is game. Good luck.